Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast where we talk all things radio control. We're talking about planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill, and as usual, I am the host of this program coming to you, not live, but coming to you from Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Lockdown Melbourne. It's still going. We could be going for months like this. Anyway, I'm not going to talk too much about it because we all know the situation. So I've got a big show for you today. Great special guest in Chris Kello, the pylon gun. Uh, but before we get to Chris, let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, we have a new product update today, all the way from the team at Hangar 9. They have released a new aircraft. It's a Pitts. Another Pitts. It seems like uh, a lot of these manufacturers are all going down the same same route. Pitts, Cubs, Extras, Edges, Yaks. Uh, seems to be, I know, you know they go where the numbers are, but... Uh, and the Pitts is a relatively popular plane. We don't see many of them at the flying field, uh, really. I've seen plenty in my day, but not every day, normally at events and things like that. Of course, we've talked about uh, to David Law about his great scratch-built Pitts, which is probably the best that I've ever seen. I don't think you're going to get much better than that, Pitts. But uh, the Hangar 9 Pitts, it's a 50 to 60cc uh, plane, biplane in the famous red and white scheme, which does look very, very nice. So it says here, it's officially licensed scale replica of the Aviate Aircraft Pitts S2B aircraft. Uh, constructed with lightweight balsa and plywood for a rigid and strong fa- frame airframe. Well, that's true. Multiple quick-release hatches allow for easy access to fuel pumps and electronics, which is good. Easy to maintain genuine ultra coat, which we know. Engine... Templates for ease of installation, great. So 50, 60 cc gases, uh, or you probably could go electric, really. You could get an electric. It'd be um, put one of the uh, big dual sky motors in. Speaking of dual sky motors, their motors are phenomenal. Have a look at their big uh, 50, 60, 35, 40 cc engines that they've got, and they are great little motors. Uh, so what are they saying? A standard size high torque servo is required. Now... Where are some of the features? I'm looking. Verizon and I, we've got a new website. You know, when, when, when companies develop a new website, it takes a bit of getting used to it, understand how they lay everything out. So I'm looking for wingspans. Flying weight. Well, this is wrong. They're saying 2,001 to 2,001 grams. So two kilos to 25 kilos. Well, I think it's going to be, it's going to be 25 kilos. I think they've mucked up that. That's, that can't be what, right. Uh, Normally, a plane of this size would be around there. I don't know, eight kilo mark. Uh, so, wingspan is 18, 19, 1.8 meters roughly. Biplane, so you always know that they're going to be a bit smaller. Uh, but not a bad size. Now, let's just see how they go with. Uh, well, there's no flying wires, which is good. Uh, no flying wires means less setup at the field. So it looks like uh, the whole assembly at the field thing is not going to be too, too bad with this pits, which has put a lot of people off over the years is that assembly at the field. But um, it's a very, very scale pits. I, I would actually classify this as one for the scale modelers. Uh, 
you don't see a lot of people flying pits as 3D aircraft. Uh, they'll be a bit heavier than, say, uh, a normal monoplane. But uh, flying at Skylark would be great. I'm just looking at a video of it now, and it scoots around the sky, so it's going to be uh, pretty fast. I always say the pits look great in the air. Uh, one of the most realistic flying models out there. Uh, but this one really has got some nice scale outlines, good scheme, that kind of thing. So what would I be doing with it? I'd be putting a gasser in it. I'd be putting a, a 60cc or maybe a 60cc twin in it, uh, smooth out the, the, the running of it. Looks like there's plenty of space uh, within the fuselage and good access from that cockpit area for all your, your uh, flight controls. Uh, cockpit details include dash panels for realistic appeal, matching red spinner included. Now, that's a good thing to do because spinners can cost a bit of money. But there's a matching, and you want the matching color. So that comes quad aileron servos for precise control and aerobatic agility. Love to see that. Not a big fan of the uh, biplanes where they have a connecting rod between ailerons. You know, they might put the servos in the bottom wing and then a connecting rod up. So you've got full control over your ailerons each individually, which is great. Painted fiberglass cowl, we come to expect that. Pretty much stock standard kind of stuff. But to me, as I said, very scale looking plane. So, you know, this is definitely one for the scale pilot that wants a bit of an aerobatic plane that could throw it around, inverted, great uh, sport aerobatics. Uh, so I think uh, not a bad plane. So hanging on. Now, where's it coming from? It will be out. Model flight will have it. Uh, they have got it on their website. I'm just typing away now. Model flight do have it on their website uh, as we speak. It's a pre-order, so I think they're going to be here later this year. Uh, now, I'm just going to go and tell you what roughly their price, if they've got a price up on it. The price of models in Australia, they've gone up. Our exchange rate's not great, uh, but, um, yeah, no, it's not up there. Oh, no, here it is. Uh, $1,500 Australian, that's what you're looking at, which actually, for a biplane of that quality, that size, not too, too bad. Uh but $1,500 will get you the hanging iron pits here in Australia. So keep an eye out, uh, out of stock because they're not here yet, but they will be coming. So stay tuned. Well, now to our special guest and what a great guest. When I started the idea of producing a podcast, I did have some names in mind of guests that I wanted to have. And Chris Keller is one of those names. He is probably Australia's greatest pylon racer. And uh, why I know that is that he's won six world championships. That is the best of the best, at least six times. Uh, great guy, uh, comes from Queensland here in Australia. Uh, if you fly pylon, you know Chris. But the good thing about this chat that I had with Chris is that if you don't know anything about pylon racing, uh, you're going to learn a lot. And uh, you'll hear how I felt like a bit of a dummy asking what is probably a sim simple question for pylon racers. But this is all about talking about Chris, his career in flying, and then sharing some knowledge about pylon. That So you may want to get out there and uh, join in the high-speed fun. So over to my chat with the legend, Chris Callow. Chris Callow, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for the invite. Very nice to uh, talk to you today. Well, you've been on, I have this list, this podcast guest list, and you've been on the list from day dot because 
if nobody's heard your name, Chris is is one of Australia's greatest error modeling exports in a kind of way. Well, he's not an export, but he he's how many world champs have you run one in pylon racing? Um, lucky enough for myself and uh, all the hard work between me and my father, we won six world championships. Okay, so we're talking about a guy that's at the top of his uh, class and we're talking about pylon racing today, which is something that a lot of uh, the mainstream era modeling media don't talk a lot about, but something that I really want to take this opportunity to share what pylon racing is all about and, of course, get under your skin and find out all about yourself. Now, where did your journey in aero modeling begin? Um, so pretty much I was um, 12 years old. My father used to fly uh, when I was very young, um, sort of maybe, you know, between the age of you know being born and uh, probably six, my father used to fly. So I always loved aeroplanes. Uh, we went to New Zealand when I was 12 years old, uh, again, aeromodeler friends. Um, and we went to a flying field and we sat out there all day and um, I just looked at the planes fly and um, I, I couldn't wait to get into it. So when we come home from uh, New Zealand, uh, my father built me an aeroplane, a Cessna, and uh, we went out to our local flying field, and uh, that's where it kicked off for me. A Cessna. Yeah, yeah. So that a Cessna with a uh, OS forty six um, was the first plane I ever had. Gee, so you missed the whole ugly trainer phase. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my father spoke to me about the ugly stick and and the you know the those sort of old planes. But um, yeah, a, a friend of ours from New Zealand gave me a, a ARF kit, uh, and back then, you know, ARF kits were very here, here, or there. Um, and uh, yeah, we come home and built it up, and away we went. Yeah, no. and so and, and yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, so that was the age of twelve, um, and then by the age of fourteen, um, we got into pylon. And and the way I got into pylon was Bruce DeChastel. You probably know Bruce. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he gave me a pylon racer plane for free and said, "Here you go, Chris. Have this plane and come out and fly pylon." And I said, "Great, Bruce. You know, it's." it's they're so fast and they're so fun. And, um, yeah, so Bruce was the one that actually got me into it. And he's still, he's still not happy today that he did that because uh, every time I go racing him, I beat him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bad move. So in those early days when you were uh, out flying, it sounds like you were really passionate about it. And, of course, you had the support of your dad. So yes. after the Cessna, was it straight into pylon or, you know, what was it? Um, yeah, well, basically, um, Bruce, uh, when he gave me the aeroplane, it was called a half A. So they were a, a small plane that you hand launched um, and they had uh, 11 um, sort of RC car motor in them. Um, and um, yeah, we used to race them and they did probably 250 kilometers an hour. And um, so as soon as I seen the speed, I just had to had to go further and F3D was the pinnacle. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. I say that in this hobby, uh it's funny how we all sort of find our place, whether that's scale, gliding, aerobatics, and then, of course, speed. And yes. it's amazing. There's, there's a whole group of people that just love the speed aspect. It's got to be fast. And obviously, that attracted you to to pylon because you really don't get much faster than pylon racing. Yeah. Uh, could I say that all you know everything that you've done from that from that young age has involved going fast with the model plane? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So the, the F3Ds that we fly, they do 350 kilometers an hour, um, RPM around about 34, 35,000. Um, so very fast. Uh, we're doing a four kilometer course in uh, under a minute. Um, so yeah, lots of, uh, you know, lots of concentration. Um, you need a, a good hand to eye coordination. Um, but um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, great, a great sport to be in. Well, let's break it down because, um, and I'm, I'm a relative newcomer to the whole pylon thing. 
So yes. let's just talk about a pylon event and the competition itself. Tell us a bit about what is the course and what is the whole aim of a pylon race? Yeah, so basically um, we have a course set up, um, which is like a triangle. Um, it is uh, 400 metres per lap. Um, so we end up doing 10 laps, which is a four-kilometre course. Um, obviously, we've got to fly around the pylon, so it's more than four kilometres. Um, but we do 10 laps, 400 metres per lap, um, and we sort of try and, you know, go as fast as we can around those 10 laps. And um, at the end of the day, after 15 flights, lower score wins. So you need to go go fast and reliable um, and also um, as tight as you end of the pylons. Yeah, okay. So you, it's a 10-lap race, but you're by yourself in the air at you know, uh, no, point. no, we actually, um, we fly with uh, three people now is a law, uh, is a rule. Um, back in the day, we used to have four. So basically lane one would take off one second later, lane two would take off one second later, lane three, four. Um, but now we, uh, the rule is three planes only. So basically when the flag drops, one plane takes off a second later, the next plane and the second later, the next plane. So there's actually three at once racing, but they, they, they're launched one second behind each other. Okay. Um, so, you know, if you're fast, if, if you launch off, off third, you've got traffic in front of you. You've got to try and uh, keep up with the other guys in front. And so with the launch, is it a ground launch? Yes, yes. We all, always, uh, we've got to take off the ground, yeah. But you don't have a throttle, do you? No, no. It's um, basically started up, wind the, the needle valve in um, and, uh, and launch. So we've got a, a throttle cut off so we can cut the engine off, but we can't actually, um, throttle back the engine because we've got, got no, uh, Venturi or, or carburetor. Yeah. Okay. So, so how many rounds did you say? Was it uh, 10 15, of the 15? Wo- 15 of the world champs and we're allowed to throw away three rounds. Okay. Your three worst rounds get go out. Yeah. Okay, well, that's actually pretty straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, you know, back in the day when I first started, it was, um, we did 12 rounds and threw away two. Um, now they're doing 15 and throwing away three. So it's sort of become maybe a little bit easier because you can sort of, you know, you got three up your sleeve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. do you go with um, other aircraft in the air, any mid-airs or do um, they generally my, sp- space out? Well, for myself, um, I've never really had an issue because I fly very low. I think I'm one of the lowest flyers in the world. Um, so I'm always underneath people. So for me, not a problem. Um, but midair is a very, um, yeah, not not uh, not common. Yeah. Okay. That's, well, that's a good yeah. thing, isn't it? But at a, yeah. And be yeah. honest, how many times have you hit the pylon? Um, I think probably about four times. Because I did see a video of you hitting a pylon on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of uh, you know, flying that like I say, I fly really low. A lot of people are you know well above the pylons and they don't have the issue. But I fly very low. Uh, and very close to the pylons, and that's what sort of gives me the, the gauge of how wide I am. Um, and, of course, I've hit, uh, yeah, like I say, four or five pylons before. <laughs> yeah, that's all part and parcel when you're pushing yeah. the limits. But uh, I've seen pylon planes fly, and yes. they're just phenomenally fast. I've actually mm-hmm. tried to photograph them. Oh, actually, yeah. I was invited. There was an event down here in Victoria, I think, last year or the year before, and I was invited. Yeah. Someone said, come down, and I said, look, you know what? I'd love to, but I yeah. can't take photographs because no, they're just going too fast. How do you keep up with the plane? Well, the the thing to – I'll tell you how I keep up with it, but the, the thing is is to sum it up to the public, um, this the, the planes that we race, same as Michael Schumacher's race car, it does 35,000 RPM. And it goes 350 kilometers an hour. So that's how fast and how, you know, 
powerful they are. They're, they're an amazing machine. Um, but to try and keep up with it, it's just practice. You need to practice all the time and keep going out, keep flying and make it become easy. At first, you know, the, the, the people come along and they see it and it's <laughs> like, wow. Um, but when you do it all the time, it becomes, you know, an every, everyday thing. Yeah. Um, so just practice. Just got to keep practicing, keep working. Okay. Well, we're going to get back to the flying, but I want to talk a bit about the planes. Uh, and no doubt there's been a lot of changes in technology with pylon planes and that kind of thing. Yes. Take us through a typical pylon plane, starting with the fuselage construction, and then we'll go on to look at electronics and motors and things like that. But starting with the fuselage, tell us a bit about them. What are some of the regulations that we need to be mindful of and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, so basically the fuselage, um, it has to um, match a cross-sectional area, um, which is 100 square decimeters. Um, so every fuselage is similar, um, but they do have, you know, T-tails, V-tails, conventional tails, all these things. Um, so there is rules that we have to apply by. Um, my father used to make many fuselages um, and different wings and all, all these things, so there's a lot of work involved in it. Um, and now um, everyone like Bruce and so on uh, designing the aeroplanes, they're using aluminium machine mould. So they basically paint the mould now, lay the fuselage up, lay the wing up and pull it out and it's good to go. Um, back in the day, we used to have to get timber and, you know, shape timber by hand um, just to try and design a fuselage and take a mould off it. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's how it's evolving. Are they carbon fibre or uh, fibreglass? Yeah. Or- yeah, so the wings and the fuselage are carbon fibre uh, and fibreglass, also balsa wood, vacuum-bagged into the mould, um, and they basically come out painted just like, you know, like, like the race car does, ready to go. No lips, no no paint lips, nothing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The, the um, Okay, so wings are – so and, and you're using carbon in most of your models? Yes, correct, yep. Yeah, that'll make them nice and light. Yeah, they're very light, very strong. Um, we, we're pulling around about forty G forces in uh, in the turn at number one pylon. Gotcha. So, so yeah, the, the the plane has to be strong. Um, so they use you know strong spars and stuff like that. Like I think they use spruce, like a different type of uh, timber mm. spruce. Um, yeah, so they use that on uh, on end grain to try and uh, get it very strong. And the um, give, what about the dimensions? What are we talking about? Wingspan, fuselage length. Uh, wingspan's uh, 1.8, uh, fuselage about 1.1. Oh, really? 1.8? Because oh, to me, a pylon plane seems shorter than that in the wingspan, but um, 1.8 is quite a reasonable size, really. Yeah, it certainly is, yeah. Um, yeah, we're getting up towards a two-metre mark, but um, so they're very high aspect ratio now, very narrow in the centre of the wing um, and, and long. You know, that that's, seems to be the best turning pylon racer, long and, uh, and narrow. And what are you looking for when it comes to the performance of a, of a, of a, of a model, like the, the, the fuselage and um, the wings? Yeah, well, the, the wings, um, you know, we're looking for uh, – we we, we've got to do 30 turns in a race. So we've got, you know, three pylons. We do 10 laps, so that's 30 turns. So you need a wing to be very fast in a straight line, but also you need the wing to turn. So you've sort of got to match, you know, a, a fast wing in a straight line and also the turning ability of the aeroplane. And that's what most of the manufacturers do now, try and get a fast wing in a straight line and also something that will turn. So are you getting planes made, custom made for you or are they models that people can buy off the shelf? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, myself, um, Lee Hocken, um, Bo Murphy and also um, Daniel Arapakis, every one of us 
uh, we use Steve Taylor's uh, wing. So Steve's a friend of mine from Maryborough. He lives two, two hours away from here. And, um, yeah, he designed up a beautiful wing, uh, which is the vector that I used for the last World Champs. And, um, yeah, so it, the whole team was using his wing, and um, it's, it's one of those great wings where it's fast in a straight line and it turns well, yeah. and it flies great in wind. So Yeah, okay, well, it's another, another variable, isn't it? Okay, yeah. so let's talk about electronics because, of course, yes. uh, you've got to be able to control it. And what, what, uh, what gear do you put in? Um, well, I'm lucky um, to be sponsored by JR, uh, JR Radio. So I use um, 3421 servos on elevator rudder uh, and throttle shutoff and a uh, JR9405 for aileron. So you just use one, um, is it one aileron servo or two? Yeah, yeah. So I've got one, yeah, one aileron servo in the center. Um, which is a large servo because the, the smaller ones on the elevator that people use, they, they can become un, unreliable on, on the hour runs. There's a lot of stress there with mm. a plane obviously going so fast. Yeah, so everything's inboard so that your wing can stay nice and smooth. Correct. Yep. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah, everything's in, in inside the fuse so there's no no drag there or anything, yeah. Yeah, and those um, on the elevator and your rudder, they are a, a micro or mini-ish kind of servo? Yeah, they're, they're sort of a, a medium servo. Yeah, um, yeah JR3401. Um, so they're, they're sort of, yeah, like a medium servo, but very high quality. I think, you know, about 150 bucks per servo. So mm. they're a good good quality servo from JR. What kind, yeah. of, what kind of torque are you looking at? Um, oh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the torque is. Yeah, but you don't need you know 15 kilos of torque on those surfaces no. at all. Yeah, no, definitely not. The um, but is speed an important factor for you in the servo? Yes, oh for sure, definitely. Um, we we don't want any slop, so we normally run um, nylon gear servos because the uh the metal gears they can um get slop. You know they they start to slop out. So oh, that's interesting. Mm. So that's yeah. Now, okay, so. And of course, you're using a JR radio as well. And then if we get to motors now, this is the thing that I think would be critical in pylon racing. What motors are you using? Um, the engines we use are a MB, so Mectomai engine. Um, a, a very good friend of mine has designed and built this engine. He lives in Holland um, and he started off with a control line and um, he, you know, built a normal engine. Then he built an integral barrel like he's got now. And um, basically the barrel on the engine we use now is an integral barrel. Um, and Rob McDemire is the first person to actually design and build that. Uh, and what, what it is is um, basically a motorcycle engine. You look at a motorcycle engine, you bolt the barrel on, you've got the big ports up the side. Um, and, um, yeah, so we we use them and um, he, he builds a beautiful product. Um, we modify the crankshaft and the piston, light the piston off and, you know, arrow the conrod and do all these things to it. But um, from a, you know, out-of-the-box engine, absolutely beautiful. What fuel do you run? Uh, four to one. So just methanol and caster, but it's four to one fuel, no nitro. We're not allowed to run nitro. I guess it's, uh, it's, it's regulated fuel, you know, as far as yeah. The, yeah, what you can run. Yeah, so when we, when we go to World Champs, they have um, like a fuel guy. He turns up and um, and basically we go and fuel. They defuel your plane to make sure you don't have nitro or anything in your fuel. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we go and fuel up at the, the fueling station at the World Champs and everyone's on the same fuel, so it works perfect. With the motors, are you, are you free to modify them at will, or are there you know like car racing where you got restrictions? No, basically, um, it it has to be six and a half cc the engine that we use, which is a forty size, um, and you can do anything you want. 
So we, you know, lighten the pistons, do the crankshafts, do the conrods, do the back play. We, we do many, many things to the engine. But as long as it's six and a half cc, you can do anything you want to the engine. That's crazy. It is like Formula One, really, when you think about it, with all the modifications that you can do. It's just, it's just crazy. And that, yeah, when it comes to that engine development, okay, you've been doing it for, how long have you been flying pylon now? Um, I started when I was 14. I'm now 41. So probably, you know, <laughs> it's been a while getting up to that high, high 20 years. So <laughs> yeah, no, so, so you've had a lot of experience in, in, in the development of the models, no doubt. Yes. Say if you compare your current pylon models versus say a model from, from 20 years ago, what yes. would be the speed difference? Um, well, probably when I first started, the planes were doing about 280 kilometres an hour. Now we're up towards the 350 mark. Um, I have seen speeds um, in good weather, you know, up around 350, 360, 370. Um, but the average speed's about 350 now. So, um, yeah, you know, we're talking 70, 80 kilometres an hour faster than what it was when I first started, for sure. Yeah, so I suppose tuning's another critical aspect of uh, of uh, the whole pylon motor run. Oh. Yeah, it sure is. Um, it's it's yeah, it's all to do with um, you know, we do our own uh, tune pipe, uh, propeller, and engine work. So um, yeah, it, it all matches together. You need to make sure the pipe is right, even the length. You know, by millimeters, we we adjust the pipes by millimeters, and then you need to work at your prop load for the day and the weather and the humidity and the pressure and all those things. So oh, gee, yeah, yeah, she's a she's a tough game. Yeah, well, to 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 operate at that top level, you'd have to be looking at all those minor details to get that competitive advantage what about yeah. props what are you props using? yeah i know that they use pretty small props but uh what, what size are you using in, in um material? so yeah basically the prop is um probably around about seven inches long yeah. so um yeah not not overly not overly big yeah. um we're looking at around about thirty thousand rpm on the ground uh, so they're a very small prop but they've got a lot of pitch we're, we're up around eight inches of pitch at the tip mm. Um, so, you know, you look at a normal trainer, we, they run a seven, six or something like that, you know, seven inches long and yeah. six inches wide, but, um, yeah, no, they're very, very high pitch and very small. Yeah. And they scream like a banshee, which is great. And there is a reason, there is a reason for running a prop that small. And what it is, is, um, if you, um, do the RPM we're doing and you run a bigger prop, the tips of the prop get to the speed of sound yeah. uh, and they start shattering. So that's why we've got to run small diameter so it doesn't actually reach the speed of sound because the, the tips of the props are actually up near that, you know, speed of sound sort of um, rotation. Yeah. Now the How long does yeah. it, uh, with, with a motor that is so finely tuned for performance, Yes. how long do they last? Um, I, well, to... to we do about three, two to three hundred runs, and that's when you look after your engine. Two to three hundred runs, um, and uh, that means two to three hundred minutes because we only have a minute per run. And so then you're um, what stripping it down and replacing parts, or yeah, new new piston. Um, basically, after two or three hundred runs, if you look after your engine, new piston, new conrod, um, and that's pretty much it. Change the bearings every now and again, and uh, good to go again. Yeah, I used to race cars, and yep. uh, it's like car racing. It's amazing. It's like very. Well, I, we didn't develop the engines. We didn't. Need, we weren't allowed to develop engines to that extent. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's actually it's, it's getting me excited because um, it's it, yeah, it's reminding me of my car racing days. Yeah, <laughs> now, the only yep. thing is, I just don't think I can keep up. 
You know what? I suppose it'd be different if you were behind the sticks yeah. and, and controlling it. I think it'd be very different to watching uh, watching it. Now, I want to move on and look at the flying. And because when you think about it, people can sit there and go, oh, so you just got to fly around um, three pylons. And I, I once I had a crack at um, scanner racing, like a, a, yep. a casual scanner race out down here at Ararat. And yeah. I realized from the first round how it was not just about going around the pylons. It was about the um the smoothness of your flight the precision of your flight as well now yes. what what are you look what are you looking for when you're trying to win when it comes to the flying component um well that that's the thing um like like you just said um you know i i tend to think of myself as being quite smooth um and also flying very close to the pilot i'm, I'm a very aggressive flyer um, but I just try and, um, you know, get up there to number one pylon and um, listen to my dad's call. And he, he counts when we go up uh, towards number one pylon, you know, one, two, ready, turn. He sort of gets me on top of the pylon up there. And then it's my job around two and three to, to go as close as I can. And I, I'm a very aggressive pilot compared to a lot of other people. Well, you mentioned earlier that you, you generally fly lower. Why do you fly lower? Um, it's just something I've done since I was sort of, since I started, um, back in the day, you know, dad always said to me, he said, you know, fly as best as you can do what you can do. And he goes, if you hit a pile and if you crash, whatever, he said, I'll always build you another plane. So from a young age, um, I had that in, in me and, um, it wasn't about, you know, worrying about the aeroplane and, uh, and stuff like that. It was about, you know, flying the best to your ability and, and do what you can. And, um, and I still fly like that today, you know, now, now it's not him buying me a new plane. If I hit a pile and it's me buying me a new plane. Um, but, uh, but I still fly under the, the same philosophy that um, you just got to go hard or go home. Yeah. It's, I think when, when it comes to the, the height that we fly at, it's all a very personal thing. And uh, like uh, for me, I like flying closer in because, I don't know. I just see the plane better, and the, the 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 angle from my eye to the plane is is better for me. But I can understand yes. that some people are, are probably okay. You know, sometimes I have probably depth perception coming into land with my bad eyesight. But uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it's interesting. So you're really looking for that smoothness and that tightness to the pylon, really, to to try to get that. You know, what what is the the time difference between say a winning run versus a second place? Um, well. You know, we, we've done 54, 55 second races in uh, 10 laps over four kilometres um, flying around the pylons. Um, so 55 is um, the pinnacle um, and probably around about a 60 would be, you know, the worst time that you could do. Um, so we're talking five seconds difference from a, from a great flight to a, to a not, not good flight at all. Um, so luckily for me at the world champs, um, we went down to the, I think the, the second last race, we did a 55. Um, then I think we did another 55 and then um, basically we just had to get a safe time to win the world champ. So dad and I went out and we went very safe and we did a 58 second run. So that was, uh, so we'd done two 55s in a row. We went safe to win the world champs. So we did a 58, so three seconds. Um, and then the last flight we did a 56. So um, yeah. Is there a world record time? Um, yeah. World records are 55 point, um, two i think and we've done a 54.17 in australia so australian record is faster than the world record at the moment gee that's crazy and of course <laughs> of course you're the record holder right yeah yes yeah that's yeah, true you're a very humble man <laughs> <laughs> now 
okay, it didn't come to you overnight. You didn't become a world champ uh, straight off the bat. Uh, yep. When it comes to training for pylon, you know, back in yep. those early days especially, what did it look like for you? You know, like how often were you going out there and what were you focusing on? Yeah, so basically um, myself and my father, um, we live maybe 30, 40 minutes from the um, from the flying field. We, we used to go to Coolum all the time. Um, every weekend, March, Dad and I used to go flying and every time we went flying, we used to come home and talk about what happened you know, what, what problems we had, how the engine ran, whether it was too hot, whether we needed to do, you know, new ducting, new cowling, new pipes, new props, all these things. Um, and we did that for, you know, 20 years, Dad, dad and I. And, um, and I think that's why we're where we're at today because myself, my dad have always worked together as a team. Um, he's not my dad, he's my best friend. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's why we're at where, where we're at now. Well, I think so as well. It's funny. Every time you see a photo of yourself, it's you and your dad. And I just want to talk yeah. a bit about that and the teamwork that's involved. And, you know, I've met other, other um, you know, world-class pilots and they talk about the role of their dad. Yes. Um, in, some, in some cases, even the mum supporting the, the flying. When yes. it comes to pylon racing, of course, your dad was your dad competing as well in pylon. Um, dad's always been my caller, so he's the one that has been like no one. The first uh, three world champs, my dad made my props, did my engines, tuned my plane, and uh, and built all my airplanes. So um, yeah, he's always been there with me. Yeah, yeah, and so his role is to help you uh, with the plane, and then when in the actual flight, what does he do? Um, so basically, he um, launches the plane, um, and uh, yeah, he uh, tells him tells me when to turn at number one pylon. Yeah, and he's timing as well. Yes, yeah. So sort of when I come around the base pylons, he's like one, two, ready, turn, and he sort of does it to account from doing it for so long. He anticipates what's going on at number one pylon. Yeah, that's just crazy because because when you think about it, it sounds really simple, but you'd really have to really know each other and work as a team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah. And the um, and it's good to see that you're, you're good mates with your dad as well and getting out to the field enjoying the hobby, which is what we always promote. It's a great yes. family uh, sport, this aero modeling thing. Oh, uh, definitely. And so everyone's got a caller and they're, everyone's wearing helmets, aren't they? Yes, yeah, they've all got the hard hats on. Um, and like you say, with the family, you know, myself, uh, my mother, my father, uh, you know, my, my kids, my wife, everyone comes to the flying competitions and um, they be a part of it. And it's great to have the family there and uh, and enjoy it. It's, yeah, it's a great thing. I always say that uh, any sport where you've got to put a helmet on is always the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's just what you have to do. Uh, I'm, I've been counting yep. how many different helmets I've got in the house. And uh, I think they're getting close to matching the amount of models that I've got. Yeah. Uh, so how often you know are you getting out to the field nowadays um well these at the moment um just with what's been going on with covid and so on um haven't been flying very much at all um but when i'm sort of preparing for world champs i'll be every two weeks i'm out the field um and pretty much seven days a week i'm in the workshop working on on engines um so that that's my passion engines um and doing as much as i can with them and, and i work very hard with my engines and that's uh sort of what what's got me where i am um yeah so basically you know when when we're preparing for world champs seven nights a week and probably every two weeks i'm out the field yeah you know i've said this before in this podcast but uh 
what becomes apparent after you know interviewing people that are at the top of their game. Yeah, it's there is dedication. No, yeah, the dedication, the time commit, committed to becoming great is yes. the differentiating factor, and you'd have you have to really have a strong love for the for the for the sport to be able to to maintain that. And how have you been able to? How do you think you've got through the past you know twenty uh, twenty plus years? Well, I'm I'm lucky that my parents have uh, supported me the whole time, so I'm very lucky to be able to, you know, like I say, you know, Dad and I have worked together for 20 years, and um, and then I, I married my wife, and um, she's been very supportive of the hobby as well, um, and you know, flying was always there for myself, um, and it was never gonna, you know, it was never gonna end, and uh, everyone accepts it, and everyone works with me, and um, you know, at the last World Champs, I had my two children there, which meant the world to me um my mother and father my sister and and so on and um and that's what makes it for me just doing it as a family and that's why i think we're so powerful yeah i think it'd be it'd be hard to keep it up if you were just by yourself and you know the lone ranger uh kind of approach you know often it doesn't work that well but um yeah and it sounds like it's not slowing down for you in any way no, not not really. Um, so the next World Champs uh, supposed to be in America next year. I'm very sceptical that it's going to happen because, um, you know, it's just not safe to travel at the moment. Um, so I, re- I really don't know what's going to happen there. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, we'll keep working and do our thing. And, um, yeah. Well, let's just talk about, about some of that international stuff that you've done because, as you said, you've won six World Championships now. It just rattles off the tongue when you say six world championships, but when you think yep. about it, that means you've been the best in the world six times. That yes. is no fluke, not you know, no <laughs> a one event wonder. And yep. you know, I see you as one of Australia's greatest era modeling athletes. Yes, to be able to win that, and you're very very humble about it. The when did that run? begin for you sort of what age um, were you when you sort of so started to get to I was top? um I was 16 years old it was 1995 I went to America um in Muncie Indiana for my first world championships um and uh yeah basically we come ninth there so you know within the top 10 when I was 16 uh, at that point I was the youngest person ever to attend a world championship um so that was my first one in 95 97 we went to Czech Republic um I come third there and at that point, to me, it was like winning. Coming third at a world championship against all these people that are so much older than me was like winning. Um, so that was 97. Uh, and then, um, yeah, you know, from 2001 onwards, um, we sort of worked hard. Like I said, you know, Dad and I went to the flying field every single weekend. Um, and uh, we worked hard and kept working at it. And, and, you know, two heads are better than one. And um, yeah, we you know six six times along from two thousand and one. Here we are. Yeah, and the um, uh, when it comes to the competitors, are you are you going up against the same group of people, or is it, are there people coming and going within um, within the normally field? Normally, when you go to the world champs, um, basically every country we normally have about fifteen to twenty countries. Um, every country um, picks the three best out of their country for to represent. Um, and, um, yeah, normally you have the same people because they're the, they're the best, you know, you, in Australia, we have three team trials. So we do three team trials and we drop one count two. Um, and you know, the, the best is, is the best. And, uh, it, it's normally the same people every time, like Bo Murphy, Lee Hocken and so on. Um, cause they're consistently good. 
So and and same same goes with the world champs with all the other people. They're consistently good, so they get on the team and um they keep coming back. They must hate it when they see your name on the entry list again and think, oh, here we go. <laughs> We've got no chance. He's going to come back and win a seventh again. Oh well, you know, like like you say about the humble thing, I'm the same thing. You know, I I, I go to world champs and uh, myself and my dad have always said um, the winning key is um, do the best you can on the day, just go out there, give a hundred percent, and do the best you can, and whatever happens happens. And that that's the philosophy I've had from day dot, and um, and here we are. Do you get nerves before for a round? Uh, definitely, yeah, I definitely get nervous. Um, yeah, I tend to go to the toilet a few times uh, before racing. <laughs> that, was, that was me when I was car racing. It was like, okay, at the time, okay, I got to go to the toilet. We're going to be in the car in mm-hmm. five minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can relate to it. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, the, the main thing with the racing is um, what makes it for myself and my family is the people. Um, racing's great. Yes. You know, we're lucky. We've won a few world champs. It's great. Um, but the people that we meet from all the countries is what makes it for us. That That's where the passion is, seeing the same people every two years, you know, Swedes and Americans and Germans and Swiss and all these people. Um, that That's what makes it uh, well worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. I've done a little bit of international travel and you just – you make the, these lifelong friends from, you know, meeting oh. people from other countries that share the same passion, you know, yes. and the connections that you make. Have you got a standout sort of country that you competed at or? You know? um, uh, definitely Europe. Um, we love Europe. Europe is absolutely beautiful. America is um, is pretty amazing where we race in America, in Muncie, Indiana. They've got a headquarters over there, um, AMA. AMA. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing there. Um, but Europe is beautiful, so definitely Europe for sure. Yeah, who's your biggest competitor? Um, biggest competitor, America can be very tough, um, and also Sweden. Uh, we've got a very young guy out there at the moment, Emil Broberg. He's um, come second, I think, at a few world champs now, and I think even the last one he comes second as well. You know, behind me, and he was someone I was watching towards the end. Uh, he's only you know twenty years old, so. I, I definitely believe he's going to become a world champion very soon. Is it one of those things where the young you are, the, the slight advantage you have with reflexes and things like that? Or you oh, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Like if I, I wasn't so good with engines now, um, you know, I could fly better when I was twenty compared to now. So, so, so it's, well, that's an interesting comment because it just shows you the importance of. Uh, refining your equipment but then also being competent at flying as well it's not as if it's a one thing will make you win the race you've really got to have the total package and you you do and and definitely you know you've been in it with your dad for so long that you've got a lot of a wealth of knowledge that gives you that advantage from a mechanical perspective uh yes and say someone younger so um to be honest like you see pylon racing you see planes going fast around pylons but the involvement of it, I've never really thought about it. Maybe because I'm simple or something. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> there's, so, there's, it, there's a lot of little intricacies involved in, in the whole pylon thing. Now, we've talked a lot about sort of pylon at that top level, but I know for any person that wants to get involved, there are other ways to get involved with pylon in other categories. What are those? Um, so we've got um, a class called Q500. Um, it's basically like a trainer aeroplane with a 46 engine in it, which everyone has. Um, and they just come and fly around the same course that we fly around and, um, and you know, hopefully they get, hook, get hooked by doing it. 
Well, I've, I've seen I've seen them fly around, and um, they are they seem a lot of fun. It was even the old uh, uh, the old model engines business down here started scanner racing with the the, the scanner trainer planes. They were just so much fun. Like the, what we used yeah. to do is we used to go and, um, up at Ararat. They'd put a couple two pylons up, so just like a little oval course, and 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 we'd have as many planes would get in the air at once. And it was basically whoever uh, ran out of, you know, who, who had the petrol, who, who who lasted the longest, basically, either from mid-air <laughs> or who yep. ran out of petrol. So everyone would dead stick. And uh, I actually, I think, almost won one because I flew at about three-quarter throttle and so I and stayed oh, really? out of way. But it was that, you know, I wasn't going for speed. It's I was going been for so endurance. long since I've heard dead stick. I remember dead stick. Yeah, um, but yeah, your engine had quit, and you'd be like, "Dead stick," and you'd come and land. It's been so. I was a little kid last time I said yeah. that. Yeah, well, so cool but, you just said that. But when you think, <laughs> when you think, uh, when you think about it, though, every one of your landings is a dead stick landing. It, it, well, it is. Yeah, every time, like we're going to shut the engine off. There's no throttle, so we need to shut the fuel off, and we're landing. But um, it's just been, you know, like I say, you know, I was probably 13, 14 since last time I said dead stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me, <laughs> be honest, cool. when you shut your engine. Yep. Are you one of those races that pulls vertical, washes off some no. momentum and does some aerobatics? No, definitely not. Um, I used to when I was uh, maybe 2003, 2005, uh, when I was in France and Czech Republic, maybe I did a snap row on a finish racing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but no, I just uh, just go out the race now, just head up to number one and just do the mature thing and just you know pull up away from where everyone is and glide around the land. Yeah, boring. Yeah. We some snap rolls and I, well, well, that's that's what happens when you get old. See, yeah. When, when I was young, I used to do a snap roll. Like I say, in two thousand one or so, I'd snap roll out of the course. But um, now I'm older, I just do the right thing and pull out and let everyone finish the race because yeah. normally I've uh, I've finished. Now, is it normally <laughs> left hand turns? Uh yes, always left hand circuits. Yes. So can you do a right hand turn at all? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> But you trim the planes to a left-hand circuit only. Ah, now that's important. So, so tell us a bit about the trimming of the plane. Like, so, are you trimming? Well, you, so you're not trimming for straight and level then? No, definitely not. So, um, the plane I'm using at the moment is a Vector, um, built by Steve Taylor at uh, Maribor, and it's a V tail. So, what I have on the left-hand side of the 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 tail, I have. 8% more throw than the other side. So when I turn, it actually keeps the nose up at the aeroplane because the torque of the engine pulls the nose down. So we run 8% more um, elevator on one side of the V-tail than the other. So when we turn, it keeps the nose up and keeps the plane level. And that's another thing as well that people need to know. Are you mixing at all in the radio? For, to... No, no mixing. Just um, one side's got 40%, the other side's got 48%. Is, is the model in knife edge a fair way, fair, fair, no, most of the time? Yeah, so pretty much um, for the four-kilometre course, um, we're on knife edge probably 80% of the time. The only time we sort of go from knife edge to 45 degrees is sort of up the straight. Um, so we go up the straight from knife edge around the base, 45 degrees to try and, um, you know, get the the most out of the aeroplane 45 degrees is faster than knife edge because you get the drag from the fuselage when you're flying on the side um and um and yeah then we uh you know back to knife edge and round round number one well what are some of the biggest developments you've seen in the planes themselves since you've been flying pylon um 
Probably the wings. Um, like I say, you know, that now they're um, they're really narrow. They're only probably 25, 30 centimetres in the centre and they're 1.8 metres. Back in the day, they were about 1.3 and they were probably 70 centimetres wide in the middle. So they've gone from very wide and very short to very narrow, very long. And do you think that's just as a result of having better materials such as carbon or just a, a rethink of the aerodynamics? Um, yeah, I think maybe a rethink of the aerodynamics. Um, they sort of follow the glider sort of, um, you know, scenario. Now, if you if you picture what a glider looks like, long, sort of narrow, thin wing, um, that's pretty much where the pylon's going now. So it's something that's very efficient. Uh, a glider has to be efficient to be able to lift and fly. Um, so they've they've followed that um, that trade that trade. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously. Most of your time is spent with in in pylon racing. Do you have any other time to to enjoy any other aspects of uh, aero modelling? Um, well, I used to. Um, I used to fly electrics and um, you know aerobatics and all these things. But um, basically, working with F three D, it took all my time. So I sold everything and um, I just concentrate on pylon racing only because it takes every every second of my day. When I'm not at work, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, I say that to often to people. You know that uh, if you want to be great at aerobatics, you can't be playing around with scale planes and gliders and things like that. You know, if 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 because you, of the time commitment that you need to make, that you've got to be very yeah. very narrow focus. That you're not going to reach the top, and especially at the level that you're working on. I know I've had chats with uh, Glenn Orchard, who's one of our top F three A pilots, and he was saying yes, I know how, Glenn. Yeah, yeah, he was saying how. He would just have to focus on on F three A, and he couldn't think of anything else. And he's taken a bit of a break from it for a few years, and, and really enjoying jets and you know yeah. iMac models and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh it's one of those things. Now, look, it's it's funny this interview because I feel like I'm a dummy asking dumb questions because I don't know a lot about pilot, <laughs> but I'm glad I'm asking these questions because I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners that, that are in the same boat as myself. But if you want to get involved in um, model flying, um, what? Oh, sorry, pylon racing. Where do you go? Where 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 do you recommend people uh, start their journey? Well, I think they just need to go out to their local club. Um, and as soon as they see or even like, you know, ask people what's going on with the pylon race, um, they're all around Australia, here, there and everywhere. Um, you just need to go out and watch a pylon race. And uh, as soon as people see it, they, they're amazed. Every time they're just like, wow, what, what was going on there? Um, so basically just drop out to your local flying club and, um, and yeah, ask where the pylon races are and go and see. But it's not only pylon racing, um, all all matter of fact, uh, model flying is, um, you know, a, a very good family sport. Yeah. Now, uh, currently, have you got any new projects on the go? Are you building new models or uh, just refining what you have? Um, basically, just trying to sort of work on the engines, engines at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it, we, we've got some good flying aeroplanes at the moment, so we just need to um, keep developing the engine. How do you how do you test the performance of the engines? Have you got ways of measuring the output? Um, well, we don't have a dyno sort of set up, but um, yeah, basically we sort of lighten our pistons and uh, work on the conrods and clearances and and play, fits and plays and stuff of the engine and try and make every friction point as um, as free as possible and uh, to try and get the most power. So that's uh, that's my little secret right there. Okay, well, we don't want you to divulge all your secrets because 
<laughs> to keep you, want to keep you at the top of your game. Yeah. Now, there's a question that I ask everybody, uh, and that ha- that is, what has been your favourite model? Yep. So basically, um, uh, when I was, uh, I think, 15 years old, I had a, a aerobatic aeroplane, and uh, a friend of mine from New Zealand, New Zealand's number one pylon flyer, uh, an aerobatic flyer. He come over Australia and he flew my aerobatic plane, which was called an Aurora. And um, we had radio gear trouble and he crashed it on the runway. And I was devastated. But it was called an Aurora and it was an aerobatic uh, 60 size aeroplane. Well, there you go. See, everyone would have expected that you would have pulled out your latest and greatest pylon plane. But you know, it's, it's interesting when I ask that question of a lot of guests. It's not necessarily the the greatest flying plane, but that what that pl- pl- plane allowed them to do and what it represented at a particular point in time that they were enjoying. And uh, a yes, lot of, a lot of the scale guys love the models that have allowed them to go to different events or world champs and things like that, even though they might not be the best flying model that they've had. So it's uh, it, it's interesting like that. Well, Chris, you've been an absolute another legend. Uh, you, you are a humble guy, but. Your name always appears at the top of the the charts when we talk about pylon racing, especially in Australia now, also yep. on the world stage. To win six times, well done, excellent job. Thank you. And I, I you know, I think I could safely say this on behalf of we Australian Aero Modelers. Thank you for for what mm. you've been doing and your contribution to pylon racing, uh, both here and abroad. Yes, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate the talk. Um, and uh, yeah. Happy any time to, to uh, you know, help people out and um, get them moving in the sport and um, teach people and, and do what we love. Excellent. Now, have you got websites or social media pages that people can follow you on? No. Um, basically, I've just got a Facebook one that I've got set up, um, Kello's F3D Performance Works, um, which is uh, my engine tuning uh, site on Facebook. Um, and But, yeah, basically... If anyone wants to contact me, they can just search my name, Christopher Kello, and uh, here I am. I'm very happy to talk to anyone that's interested in flight. Well done. You're a legend, Chris. Thanks for joining me. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. That's all we have for you today on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. And a big thank you to Chris Callow for joining me. Now, if you want to get involved in Pylon, just jump online. Uh, Chris said, mentioned in his interview, if you listen to it again, uh, you can contact him. I think he's got a, a Facebook page as well if you need to know anything. But there's, there's people all around the country that can help with Pylon racing. So another week uh, here in Melbourne without any flying. It's The weather's pretty bad, so it doesn't really matter. So back to the bench and keep on working. Listen to the Flat Out RC podcast. And don't forget, connect with us on our social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we are on Twitter. I don't use it much though, but Facebook and Instagram are the two biggest ones. And don't forget our YouTube channel. I've, I recently put another video up on uh, the RC Factory Edge XL that uh, my good uh, mate Edo and I reviewed. So get on, get on board. Don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. We'll be back next week with more, another guest. So stay tuned. And thanks again for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Bonnie and Clyde, a classic cliche. We're on the run. This is what we waited for.